0: Okay so if we if we just briefly sum up why why Eros you know why make this delineation well yes because it's part of our life already as uh, it should become more and more uh, really evident um, there's Eros involved in our relationship with the path and with awakening to different degrees. I said, Eros is involved in our relationship with the path and awakening and the notion of awakening and therefore Eros needs to be investigated there because it's part of my path, because it's involved in my relationship with it. It's certainly part of imaginal practice. Eros is certainly part of imaginal practice. And um, as I said, um, Eros... Um, involves and leads to soul-making and widening of the senses of sacredness and beyond, as I said, just um, the isness of things um, and even beyond uh, the transcendence uh, that's possible for us, uh, for consciousness transcendence in oneness, or um, or the unfabricated. And opening up sacredness wider than a kind of universal sacredness. We talked about this on other retreats, and we'll, amplify, we'll, we'll go into this on this retreat. So there's a kind of universal sacredness, and then there's particular sacredness, theophanies, but in, in that preserve um, particularities. And there's also, <clears throat> I'm just recapping here, there's also the... Um, the uh, making the link between sexuality and sacredness uh, that sexuality and eros are not just defilements um, and, and we, want, um, we want a path that has more than nothing to say or very little to say about sexuality and about romantic love that recognises more involved than um, certainly than procreation um, and also than, than meta. Before I um, venture a uh, 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 first definition of uh, delineation of, of heroes, I w- want to say something um, a few things <clears throat> three or four things generally about um, about this definition but also about um, making definitions and delineations in general. Um, so firstly is, uh, and uh, it's implicit in what I've been saying I think already, but um, y- y- people use the word eros, if they use it at all in psychological or um, other contexts, <clears throat> um, in many different ways. And over the millennia, in fact, it's been, um, it's been used in many, to, to mean many different things. So there's a range in how people use it. Um, <clears throat> so it's important to be aware of that. Um I we are certainly not saying we have the right definition, everyone else is wrong. That would that would be utterly ridiculous. It's really not about right or wrong. Um it's more for me about um what does this way of defining Eros uh what does it lead to? Um so different ways of defining Eros um unfold uh, in different directions, if you like. Um, and the way we're defining Eros um, it sits within a certain conceptual framework of other things that I've mentioned and, and a whole set of teachings. Um, so what does that whole set move towards and how does this um, notion of Eros is, how is it supported by that other set, and how does it support that other whole conceptual framework? So the <clears throat> really not about right or wrong, or arguing with what people, but but it's important. This is just one among many possible um, ways. The way where I'm going to define it in, in a minute is, is one among many possible ways. The way we're going to define it over this retreat, actually, is is uh, one among many possible ways. But, but it's also um, a delineation that's based on, uh, if you like, a phenomenological approach, meaning um, just the observation of experience and what's actually happening in experience. But that observation is already informed and based on certain directions in practice to do with um, understandings of emptiness and also imaginal practice and notions of soul-making. So ph- ph- phenomenological observation is always informed by a conceptual framework. Um, and it adds that. But the definitions we're using are based on really what, uh, what is observed in experience um, in that territory. So not about right or wrong, that's the first thing. Um, but what's it serving? And how can we define it in a way that serves our purposes? Second thing is <clears throat> um, a more general thing about definitions and delineations in general. And it um, has to do with something uh, that philosophers call the hermeneutic circle. Okay, hermeneutics is a word that basically means interpretation. It's It comes out of, um, you know, re- uh, emerged as a, as a word in terms of the study of, of sacred texts and scriptures and what does it actually mean, this text? What? How should we interpret when um, uh, the Buddha said this or in some tantric text it says that or or, um, or in actually the Bible or, or whatever? <coughs> um, so it has to do with parts and wholes in a way. So if I'm looking at a text or if I have this concept of eros um, uh, it's one part within a much larger whole so this word that I want to interpret in the text or the text itself is part of um, it the word is part of a much larger group of words that make up the text and the text itself is much, much uh, part of a much larger um, probably group of texts or stream of tradition or historical context or whatever and I can't fully understand the part unless I understand the whole. Um, So I can't, in this case, we can't actually take Eros on its own and um, and sort of understand that without understanding the um, the other parts of of a bigger whole of the what we're calling this integrated um, vision of practice integrated conceptual framework or architecture of practice that involves imaginal practice of soul making i can't really take it on its own eros um separate from those and hope to understand it um, but Similarly, the conundrum of the hermeneutic circle is: I can't understand the whole until I understand the particular parts. So I certainly won't understand the whole text unless I understand the independent, the individual words within it, and I won't even understand this text unless I see and um, and have a bigger understanding of tradition and the group of texts say, that that it involves. So this applies actually to everything. It even applies to some to our understanding of mindfulness. Um, so. Uh, mindfulness, um, to understand or I say, to, to move closer, if you like, to an understanding of what the Buddha meant, um, we actually need to understand the whole of the path and the whole of his dharma, because mindfulness is situated within that dharma and its meaning and its directions and what it draws on and the assumptions and the, um, all of that is um, as, as a place, as again a context so I can't really understand mindfulness until I've, I've understood the whole of the of the um, the Dharma, if you like, and what the what the Buddha was shaped with that and, and opened with that, and similarly. Um, I can't really understand the whole of them, Dharma unless I understand the individual elements of it. But it's the same here um, in relation to Eros. Eros is, as I said, tied in with a whole other web of concepts, and to take it out on its own and try and define it is is actually um, not really strictly speaking possible. It's still helpful, and that's what I'm going to do as a start, but it's... Um, tied in with other notions, ideas, concepts, and experiences. Everything that I say so far, all these words that I've just sometimes thrown out without fully explaining, it will all get elaborated over the retreat so that because of this problem with the hermeneutic circle, what's called the hermeneutic circle, because of this um, contextualization and relationship and the place something like Eros takes within a larger set and and framework of ideas and experiences, etc., um, it means that we're going to have to move back and forth between a sort of small vision, big vision, and tie things together. So really, um, we're going to elaborate what Eros means over, over quite a, a long time and, and ask for your patience with that. Um, but it's kind of necessary, and that will give us a much richer, deeper, fuller understanding uh, uh, that, that's actually much more helpful. The third thing about um, definition in relation to Eros specifically is that Eros classically is a god, a divinity. And divinities are, by their nature, not fully fathomable, not fully capturable in um, con- concept. They have some kind of infinitude to them, and so they're not fully definable. Um, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't venture certain concepts, um, and I'll explain this much more later, why A, we can't avoid conceptuality, and B, actually conceptuality is part, uh, is, is necessary and part of the erotic movement, and expanding, this is the thing, expanding, not a limited or fixed or stuck conceptuality, so that's where the rub comes. It's not that we just say, oh, it's divine, it's infinite, it's undefined, and we just shrug and forget about it. Then we don't amplify that. It doesn't come alive to us as an area of interest. But um, we can use concepts. Um, we don't hope to ever completely capture it and say, that's it. Uh, uh, that's my definition. watertight. It's very neat. Thank you very much. Um, Maybe in some traditions, actually, eros is a semi-divinity. So he's sort of um, uh, what's the word, demigod, um, in between um, the divine and the uh, the not divine, if you like. And um, and that may also allow us to be uh, part of the reason why we can be more more conceptual, um, or at least approach it. Approach part of it, or begin to approach it through through some conception. So we'll, we'll return to all this business about conceptuality. But let's start, having said all that about uh, caveats and qualifications and all that, and complications uh, about definitions, and <clears throat> um, let's start with a really simple definition, Okay. A relatively simple definition, this is just a start, just to get us started, and bearing in mind that we can't capture it completely, bearing in mind that it involves all other concepts, uh, lots of other concepts, etc, etc. and that it's not right or wrong, all that. Let's start with a really relatively simple definition. And I say so eros is a desire. It's a kind of desire. It's a wanting, but wanting what? It wants, let's say more contact. It wants more contact, more connection uh, with uh, what we could call its object or whatever erotic object we're talking about. We're going to use that language a lot. Erotic object means what's eros in relationship to um, or the the um, beloved, if you like, if you want more poetic language. So eros wants more, let's say, contact and connection with the erotic object. Now because these words contact and especially connection are a bit, have become so sort of um, used, they've they almost lost, lost their power. So I'm going to elaborate this a little bit. It wants more contact connection. It wants to, um, to touch the erotic object more. I mean, these words I'm using really quite broadly. What does it mean to touch? Does touch just mean the skin touching something? It certainly it means that, but it means much more. What does it mean to touch? Think, think of the fullness of that word, and how we can touch things with what dimensions of our being and our psyche can touch things. It wants to touch. It wants to touch more of the erotic object. It wants to know more. It wants to know the object more. It wants to know the beloved more. And again, that word "know." Think of the fullness of what that word means. I want to know you. I want to. Um, it, it, I'm really using the words quite broadly here. It wants to experience more of the beloved, more of the erotic object. Um, so it has to do with experience, intimacy. It wants, eros is a wanting to penetrate the erotic object more, uh, to open more to the beloved, to open to more of the be, uh, the erotic object, to penetrate more of the Erotic object, and to penetrate more. So these words, and you know, penetrate, open, maybe no. <clears throat> these are also words with sexual connotations, right? And that that's deliberate. So it's not limited to that. But we're going to come back to these, these words in particular. Um, but using these words broadly, eros is a, uh, the wanting of more contact, more connection, more touch, more knowing, more experience of, um, to experience more, more of, to have more intimacy, more penetration, more opening to the erotic object or beloved. Now that erotic object could be anything anything, outer, so-called outer or inner, anything. The erotic object can be, and the object of Eros can be anything. And notice, also about this simple definition for now, notice that word more. I put a lot of emphasis on that word more. <clears throat> I don't know the myth from uh, the classical myth, but Eros um, always goes along with, I think it's another god called Pothos, P-O-T-H-O-S, as so another Greek word, and pothos is the um, infinite desire, or the desire for the infinite. So it's always it's the it's the more. This is the more. Um, pothos has something that like always wants to move on to when it's got something. it Wants more, more, more. So I'm going to say that that pothos is a part of eros. When we talk about eros, it it. It implies and involves and um, <clears throat> has as an, an intrinsic element, pothos, and that's the more. It wants more touching, more knowing of, more experience of, more penetration, more opening to. Okay. So, you might be like, Oof, that's not a very interesting definition. <laughs> it's, a, it's quite a humble definition in a way. and, and it's, a, it's really starting quite simple and... In some senses, it's quite a broad definition, others it's quite narrow, and you might think well that's not that's a bit of a disappointing definition, or maybe not a big deal but um my contention, what I hope you'll at some point be convinced by is actually um the beauty of this way of defining it, and that you will begin to see slowly, hopefully more and more. The power of it as a way of thinking about Eros, um, that it has all kinds of implications and consequences um, that emerge from it, that are kind of wrapped up, not so obvious, um, not so obviously, but are intrinsic to it, and and create, if you like, the the beauty and the fullness, the richness, and the. Multi directionality of what Eros actually is and what it does. Okay, <clears throat> so it, it, again, notice again Eros is, is not, uh, we're not defining it. Um, as, uh, or rather, we're saying it's 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 not the same as um, sexuality or sexual attraction or sexual energy. It includes that in our definition. That's certainly part of it. And you can, so it's wanting the more touch, more uh, penetration, more openness, more to know, to be intimate. So that sexuality is, is one <clears throat> one dimension of that, or one <clears throat> manifestation of that, at a certain level in a certain direction. We're not also equating it with Freud's uh, pleasure principle—the seeking of pleasant pleasure and pleasant sensations. <coughs> um, so, uh, which would be one of um, uh, akin to one of the, the Buddha's um, lists of what craving or clinging involves. Um, so that's certainly involved; pleasure is involved, and I'm going to come back to this in eros. But it's not—that's not actually what eros is after nor are we, as I said, equating it with the, uh, what Freud would call the life instinct versus the death instinct, um, or even the life force, uh, you know, just the sort of life energy, um, nor love. So the way we're using the word eros doesn't, we're not equating them with all of these. There is a relationship of the way that we're using the word eros with all, each of those, but they're not equal. So in some instances, um, <coughs> eros is the bigger concept. For instance, in relation to sexuality, in other times, other, other um, instances of, of these uh, these other definitions, um, eros would be the smaller concept. So I would say eros is um, a part or an element of life force, or, or better, a certain direction or manifestation of life force. So we as beings, we, we have a certain amount of life force at any time, or just in our existence, and Eros would be one directionality and one manifestation of the way that life force manifests. Um, Eros is, said is, is uh, one kind of desire. Uh, craving would be another kind of desire. Craving for sense pleasures would be another kind of desire. Um... But also notice something else. So in some traditions, and uh, ancient traditions, and and it's uh, continued to to this very day, Uh, so I think it came either from the Platonic teachings, I don't know enough about it, or from the Neoplatonic tradition. Um, So for instance, there was um, a mystic and a sage and a philosopher with the wonderful name of Dionysus the Areopagite. Actually, he had the even... This the guy that I'm talking about had the even more wonderful name of Pseudo-Dionysus the Areopagite, because Areopagite. Pseudo-Dionysus the Areopagite. Because for, uh, it seems, for very complex reasons, he was pretending to be the other guy, Dionysus the Areopagite, who would lived a few hundred years before that. Anyway, um, this uh, Dionysus the Areopagite, uh, among other teachers, um defines Eros as really that force um, that moves towards unification, towards union, towards melting in oneness, etc. So, we are not defining it that way. This is important, Um, and this is quite common um, in some psychologies and some spiritual teachings. He says we're not defined. There is a relationship, between this movement towards unification. But actually, it's, it's, it's actually more complex. So we go back to R1, our definition. Eros is this desire, this wanting for more contact, more connection, more, t- more touching, more knowing, more experiencing, more intimacy, more penetrating and opening to the beloved or the erotic object. So there's a relationship with the movement towards unifying but and i'm going to we're going to elaborate this both of us will elaborate this a lot more eros will always um want more it will always want more which means that um, more of this um connecting touching um etc <clears throat> opening to which means that um either it will if you like resurrect a tunus it will resurrect the beloved object um, after an experience of oneness or union, or it creates or discovers other, more of the other, other othernesses, other things to reach towards um, in the object, it complexifies this, we're going to explain this much more. Or it simply does not go towards union. It, it, it does not dissolve, uh, move towards dissolution, towards union, towards melting, towards a collapsing of the two-ness into oneness. So either it does, but then it will, it will re-instigate, re-create um, or discover, this is something we'll come back to, create or discover um, other othernesses. Um, uh, or, or recreate uh, a kind of um, more of the beloved other, so to speak, to move towards. Or it will simply not, it will resist somehow that collapse to to oneness. It will preserve the two-ness, the um, <coughs> self, if you like, and the erotic other, uh, the erotic object, the beloved. much more about that later. Um, But this is a really, really important point. Um, So, how do we recognize Eros? How do we recognize the presence of Eros in our experience, in our life, in our meditations, in our relationships? I remember teaching um, many years ago, quite a few years ago, and uh, giving some instructions on mind states and emphasizing um, emphasising the awareness of developing sensitivity to how the mind state was sort of reflected in and affected the body, and the experiences in the body, and also just the general texture of the mind space, and uh, my two co-teachers... Um, <coughs> commented afterwards and, and said that they thought some people just would never be able to do that um, <clears throat> or couldn't do that. And a much better way of going about it was to say that you recognize the mind state through the thoughts. And the thoughts, the kind of thoughts you have tell you what mind state you're in. So if you have angry thoughts, you know that you're angry, et um, I, I <clears throat> All I can say for now, and actually for the way that I would conceive of this whole set of teachings and the Dharma in general is that we need practitioners as practitioners um, we need to develop our sensitivity uh, and the subtlety of our awareness to be able to notice mind states if we're calling eros a mind state or state of being um, to develop the sensitivity to that without relying on the c- c- clues and cues of thoughts um, from the, in, in seeing how how the energy body is affected, developing the sensitivity to that, to the textures of mind and the space of, of what might call the space of mind, the subtle mental movements that are uh, there even when there is no thought, um, or they are underneath or alongside thought. So I, in a way, stand by that in the sense that I can't really see how how the kinds of things we're talking about and the capacity to work with them in practice would even be remotely possible without the sensitivity, without those kinds of sensitivities. We're talking about developing practice in a a way that demands quite a lot, and one of the basic things it demands is a sensitivity to the energy body and a, a more subtle sensitivity in general to the mind. Um, but this ties into a point anyway that uh, uh, I've said before and repeat again. When we talk about eros, like, like everything, we're talking about a spectrum. So it can be incredibly intense and, and in a way quite gross and obvious or really, really quite subtle. And somehow we want, um, if we're going to explore it and investigate it and include it as part of our... Um, our our reach of what the Dharma means and our practice means and our path means, then we're going to have to be sensitive and recognize its presence and be able to work with it across that whole realm of um, subtlety and intensity. That means that we can handle and work with and not get bowled over with really intense eros. Um, And we'll come back to that whole question about balance, etc., and also that we can recognize and work with it when it's really much, really very subtle, um, and, and then that's still recognizable, um, sensible, and fruitful. So, um, also you'll notice, um, kind of implicit in the definition and part of recognizing eros, is that eros involves attraction. Uh, there is attraction in Eros. It's once more, more X, Y, Z, as we said. Um, so attraction is implicit, implicitly part of the force of attraction uh, that one can recognize in oneself and feel and actually explore. As attracted to what, um, as I said. And But included in that, because of that, or um, with that attraction, Eros has this felt attraction Tension in it. So eros usually involves some degree of tension. Um, often because of the more, you see, because of the more it always wants more, or because, or and as well, because as as I mentioned, um, the attraction towards the erotic object is is not dissolved, or if it's dissolved, it's only temporarily dissolved in union. There's a um, uh, an element in eros, if you like, that preserves the otherness and therefore the tension of the two and the tension of the attraction. The attraction doesn't lead to oneness as a final resting certainly either at all or as a final resting place in which in which that oneness there's a there's no more tension of the desire. And so, always to say it again, there's the preservation of otherness or the creation of more otherness, so to speak, more of this object, more dimensions of this object and therefore more otherness, or the discovery, if you like, of uh, more, more to the object and more otherness, uh, more to move into with this, with this attraction, with the directionality of the desire. So, you can already see it's it's simple, but it's already quite complex. And we're going to go into this thing about two-ness and oneness and, and preserving otherness and all that. We're going to go into that more, as I said. Um, but recognising eros, again, eros often has a certain, what we might call, juiciness to it. Uh, now, that's quite interesting, too. Juice, the word libido, which some people use interchangeably with eros, um, the word libido is related to the word lips and um, the, the the moisture of lips, the drippings of pleasure. I'm um, taking this etymology from both from James Hillman and also from Onians, who, who wrote a book um, about the history of Western thought and certain concepts and traces them through history. Um, the libido is related to the meaning is drippings of pleasure, um, juicy juices. Uh, libation, our word libation, drink, um, the excitations of lust, um, the, the pouring of liquid, as, as in um, uh, libation, as I said, to um, deliquarius, to make liquid, to make something a liquid or to melt. Um, the word, it's also related to the Latin word litus, which is uh, moistness or fatness or fruitfulness. That's, that's very key to our definition of Eros, is fruitfulness and gladness. And also related to the German Lieben, which is um, love, uh, as well as to the word Liber in Latin, which means uh, free. And the god uh, Liber was um, a fertility god, a procreative uh, figure. Uh it's also related to something you may have heard me say in other talks about the necessity to make all things liquid. Um, our chemical maxim don't proceed until all things have been made liquid um, in other words, not rarefied. so eros and in its uh, uh, connection with the word libido is, is all, all this is wrapped up. Actually, we will be using the word libido when we even use it as meaning more something like psychic energy in general, um, the energy of the psyche. But anyway, it's related. And juiciness um, is, seems to be a part of the erotic experience, a part of the experience of eros. Um, part of that, part of the reason for juiciness is that, and this is something we're going to have to explain in... Uh, in more detail later, is that eros always invokes, stimulates, or involves, or is involved with the imaginal and soul making? Eros always invokes, involves with, involve, is involved with, or involves <clears throat> and stimulates the imaginal and the soul making. I'll explain more about this later. And that process of soul making, imaginal, is in itself rich. And, and so eros brings more richness this whole process of soul making is a rich process and a juicy process so attraction tension juiciness um, <clears throat> the imaginal I'll come back to that um, or image is part of eros or involved with eros as a part of how we recognize it um, all this implies a kind of dynamism So there's the dynamism of the attraction towards the object. That's also recognizable as a feature of Eros. There's this dynamism of attraction towards the erotic beloved. Um, But there's also the dynamism of what I just referred to, and I'll elaborate much more as the retreat goes on, this dynamism of the stimulation of the soul-making process, which is a dynamic process. It involves movement, expansion, complication, enrichment, widening, deepening of image, of what we might call psyche, and also of conceptuality. So there's a dynamism involved in Eros that has to do with that um, dynamic. It's not always obvious at first. It's the dynamism of the attraction to the object that's um, more obvious. But actually what it turns out is the object that we're we're attracted to is more the complex of image, um, uh, idea, eros itself, that becomes the object, much more about this later um, but there's as I said recognising eros so it's attraction, juiciness, tension dynamism um, arousal arousal is also a part of the erotic experience now, I don't necessarily mean um, sexual arousal although of course that's a part of it can be, um, or even um, Perhaps even measurable or observable um, psychophysical arousal. Um, that a person might measure with electrodes or something or other. Um, may or may not. I don't know. But um, but really, it's the arousal involved with eros is an arousal of interest. So we talk about the spark as well. There's an arousal of eros uh, of interest. We're really interested. In um, this beloved, where something engages us, um, compelling in the best sense of the word, and um, it's really uh, captivating again in the best sense of the word. Um, the arousal is intre- uh, The interest is aroused, and also um, the energy body is aroused. By which I mean um, the energy body is energized. It will feel energized it will feel open and it will probably feel aligned. I've talked about this in in past retreats when I've talked about the energy body working in imaginal practice. But it's also a feature of when there is eros, the energy body is also aroused. Now that arousal, again, can be very intense, very, very intense, or really quite subtle. And it may be relatively unagitated. There's quite a peaceful feeling with it, often. Not always, but often. Um... There's also an aspect, which I th- think um, I will leave this to later when we more explain more what I mean by the soul-making dynamic, Eros, Psyche, Logos. Um, But I'll just mention it now, of auto-eroticism, um, so that uh, what becomes for us an erotic object um, also involves ourselves ourselves and involves our Eros. So the eros itself becomes erotically um beautiful to us our own eros and ourselves also i'll come i'll come there's one calling it auto eroticism will I'll, I'll come back to that um hopefully in the next talk uh, now let's let's invent another slight delineation here in relation to some of what we just said um I'm gonna make up. Uh, a delineation between two words, delight and bliss. Uh, and again, no no, at all claim that this would be a correct dictionary definition or the right definition or anything like that. But let's say, let's use the term delight um, and say that eros usually um, is accompanied by or involves delight. Delight is involved um, with erotic experience. By which I mean, by delight I mean... Um, a sense of fullness, of richness, of aliveness, of interest, that we just said. Um, the delight of soul-making, of this enriching process, this expanding process that soul-making is, we can say axiomatically, the soul loves soul-making. Uh, It's almost a circular definition of the soul. What's the soul? The soul is what loves soul-making. It loves this, uh, what I'll explain more, this this dynamic, this process of soul-making of Eros, Psyche, Logos in the mutual fertilization, expansion, deepening, enriching, widening. Uh, So that soul-making, I wonder, is is intrinsically delightful, if you like. Um, And Eros, because it goes with all that, um, it's almost always got uh, a sense of delight with it. Uh, so you could say that's part of juiciness, but let's just say that's specific to the soul-making quality. Now, eros may involve bliss. And again, I'm just making up a uh, definition here just for our purposes. Um, and defining bliss as an experience of the energy body um, uh of great pleasantness in in, in in the energy body of rapture or joy in the energy body and um, uh, that kind of openness etc. and it, uh, sometimes again very intense sometimes much more subtle. Um, uh, but that that energy body experience of bliss, I would say, accompanies any uh, lightening or uh, unfabricating to whatever degree of the self of sen- of the self sense. Uh, up to a certain point, at least. Um, When you get really deep on fabricating, I'm not sure you can really use the word bliss at all. Um, Then you get into the deeper jhanas, etc. But um, so that uh, you can have a bliss without eros, um, or without delight, or without soul-making. For example, um, and I'll come back to this too, um, the bliss of... um, first jhana or the third jhana may or may not be soul-making. Um, in itself, in some ways, it's not, uh, for reasons I'll explain. It's um, it's just bliss without eros and without soul-making delight, the delight of soul-making. But, um, and of course, sometimes you can have um, a delight in soul-making without bliss uh, quite often, so without that sort of um, strong feeling in the energy body. But basically... Um, eros usually involves delight or is accompanied by delight, and it may involve bliss um, okay, so you've done recognizing eros uh, again, just run through those um big spectrum and intensity and subtlety involves attraction that's implicit in it it includes some kind of felt tension um, juiciness certainly. Um, richness of experience uh, dynamism of different kinds arousal of interest of the energy body um, autoeroticism which I'll come back to um, delight usually accompanies it and it may involve bliss, this um, pleasantness in um, uh, rapturous or joyful peaceful, beautiful feelings in the energy body um, uh, in the experience of the energy body so these are some some of the. Um, uh, this is a start, and to, to define eros in a very simple way, with some caveats. And actually, we're going to see what that does, and expand and enrich the very definition or the delineation of eros, and really fill it out over the <coughs> over the retreat, um, put it in in relationship to other concepts, um, and. Uh, but these are some of the uh, elements of of recognizing the experience. So you already see, (coughs) excuse me, you already see um, in some of what we're talking about it's hard to go too far in this without bringing in other um, as an element or part of this web or this um, architecture of ideas and experiences and delineations that we're going to try to unfold as part of this more uh, wider, integrated, more far-reaching conceptual framework or path. And so... That's what we're going to begin to do. Start to draw it together and draw in some of these ideas and um, uh, involve them in each other. Okay? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.